We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. Last time we looked at verse 5. And this time we will again come to verse 5. We are taking our time because of the greatness of this text in front of us. Because of the sweeping breadth of what it contains in verses 4 down through verse 10. There is a richness here that is amazing. And I don't want to miss any of it. So... At the risk at times of being simple, at the risk today of being somebody who turns to nothing but Bible scriptures, which will shock some of you if you've come from Bibleist churches, at the risk of all of that, I don't want to miss anything that's here. So today we're going to focus on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, where it says, You as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. In the last few messages, we've dealt with the great privilege of having Christ coming to Him. Then, coming to Him as a living stone. That was the whole idea last time of our communion with Him. Coming to Him as a living stone and then in... Verse 5, it says, You also as living stones, speaks of our place of communion and our capacity. And we talked about that, that we have a place, we have a position in the body of Christ. And we talked about how our position matters. And finding that position is so critical. Today, we need to go on and talk about the fact that in the sense of our privileged capacity, now that we're God's children... We have a position to the end that we would fulfill our priesthood. So you come to read that you are living stones and a holy priesthood. We can look at that and rejoice in it to some degree. We can quote other scriptures where we are told we will reign as kings and priests with him. But if you don't understand the priesthood, you cannot truly rejoice and what it's all about, nor can you effectively move into it and live it out. So what we need to do today is find out what this priesthood thing is all about. So we're going to go to the Old Testament. And we're going to look at some key things about the priests in the Old Testament. When you come to 1 Peter 2.5 and you read priesthood, you must erase from your thinking, uh, say, a Greek Orthodox priest who's wearing his robe and his cone-shaped hat and uh, shaking incense all around, and, or whether it be uh, an Armenian Orthodox priest or whether it be a Catholic priest or whatever kind of priest. Get that out of your mind because that is not the issue at all. Look at it in the Bible, trace it back to its roots in the Bible, then examine the priest there, and what you'll find is the Levitical priesthood. And that is what we must understand and focus on. So in the Old Testament, we're going to talk about that. Turn to your Old Testament. Just take a wild running leap into the Old Testament. Just get ready to be there. And for those of you that have a hard time finding books in the Bible... You know, opposites attract, so I figure one in the family doesn't know where things are and the other one does. Is that right? So give the Bible to the one that can get there the quickest, because we're going to be hopping around. So get situated. And we're going to go to the Old Testament, and to begin with, the first thing we're going to talk about is how the Levitical priesthood was put together by God. 
The first thing I want you to understand as we talk about what is a priest, what were they all about, the first thing is this. The, the Old Testament priests were sovereignly called by God. Sovereignly called by God. In other words, you couldn't just decide you wanted to be a priest. You couldn't answer and add in a paper. You couldn't fill out a form. You couldn't audition. That is because God narrowed it down to a group of people that He chose. And they were the tribe of Levi. God sovereignly chose the tribe of Levi to populate His priesthood. So if you were not in the tribe of Levi, you couldn't be a priest. So they came from the tribe of Levi, sovereignly called and appointed by God in that sense. And it's interesting to see something about the tribe of Levi that you may not have thought about before. If you turn in your Bible to Genesis 49, to verse 5. Genesis 49, 5. And here is the time where... Jacob is dying and he's talking to his sons as he's dying, getting ready to die. And um, as he gets to Simeon and Levi, he has something interesting to say. He says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. Therefore, he basically curses them. He says, Cursed be their anger. So fierce and their fury so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. You see, what had happened is earlier on, Levi and Simeon had done some pretty dreadful things, one of which was murder, the other was hamstringing oxen which was a terrible thing. You see, if you plowed your fields in that day, you did it with an ox. That then was your livelihood. If somebody came along when you weren't around and hamstrung your ox, they basically put you out of business. It was the most terrible thing you could do to somebody. So they committed murder. They did that. They, they were then cursed by Jacob in that sense for their anger and their fury and their cruelty. So you may not realize that when you talk about God sovereignly choosing the tribe of Levi, by the time he came to do that, if you were to look back, you would see this tribe has a sinful, cursed past, a sinful, cursed history. Do you see the message there? The message is Peter says, you are now a living stone made part of a holy priesthood. To look back to the thought of the priesthood, you'll find out that the, the tribe that was sovereignly chosen had a sinful, sin-cursed history. And God surprised everybody by calling them to the priesthood. And thus, they had absolutely no place of boasting. No Levite could say, we have the greatest, holiest history and that's why God chose us. Oh no! We've been chosen, we don't even know why, except the love of God, and He sovereignly appointed us with our sinful past. Do you get it? This is what God has done for you if you're a Christian today. You're a Christian, number one. Jesus said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Oh, you chose me eventually, but you came around to choosing because in eternity past, God elected you to salvation, and we've spoken of that in detail. But hold your finger in the Old Testament... 
And go with me to 1 Corinthians, to chapter 1, to verse 26. And there's a striking parallel here in the writings of Paul with what we're talking about. The Old Testament priests were sovereignly called of God in spite of their sinful history as a tribe. And Paul here says, For you see your calling, brethren, 1 Corinthians one twenty six, how that, notice, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has, notice the word chosen. This is sovereign choice on the part of God. God has chosen what instead? The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that are despised. God has chosen, yea, and the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. There is the same thing. I thank God that I have been privileged as a person who lived in sin throughout my entire history as a human being to know the depths of sin and guilt and shame and wrong and cruelty and violence and to be taken by God, sovereignly called, out of the darkness into the light and placed into His priesthood. And when I read this list, the weak things, the base things, the foolish things, I am not so proud as to assume that only one of them might apply to me. I am there in every word. I don't know about you, but I see myself in the weak and the foolish and especially the base. And to see that the, the great work of Jesus Christ is all about overturning all of that in my life. To bring me into His priesthood is such a tremendous thing. I thank God for His sovereign love. So they were sovereignly called. Second thing about the priest that I want you to see, and we'll go back to the Old Testament now, is they were mercifully cleansed. Mercifully cleansed for their service. In other words, without this cleansing, they could not participate in their priestly service. Now, I want to look at something that you may have seen before and wondered about. And then we'll see how it applies. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus 29, and we'll start with verse 4. Here is uh, Aaron and his sons, and they're going through their cleansing for the, their service as priests at this point. And in verse 4 of Exodus 29, it says, And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. And so the cleansing is there. But it goes on. It goes on from water and shaving and certain things to actually sacrifice and, and blood to really deal with their sin. Specifically to deal with it so totally that they can minister as priests before a holy God. And you must remember that in the Old Testament, God in His holiness, He would let the priests up near to Him. He would let the high priest once a year actually into his presence, his physical Shekinah glory presence. But other than that, the message to the people was stand back, stand back, stand back. Remember when his 
glory was on the mountain and they roped off the mountain and if anyone came up to the mountain and touched it, they would die. The message was stand back. So here is they're drawing near as part of those that can draw near. The, the cleansing must be absolutely just right. So you read here in verse 10 of Exodus 29.10, You shall have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. So you see them there with their hands on the head of the bull, and they're thinking about their sin. Then he says, You shall kill the bull before the Lord. So they put their hands on the bull, thinking about their sins, and they watch the bull die. Thinking, no doubt... The day that you sin, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. This kind of thing. And they watch the bull die and they live. And they understand the mercy of a gracious God. And then you read in verse 12, You shall take some of the blood of the bull, and you shall put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. So now they're pouring out the blood on the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the kidneys, and the fat that is on them. And then here now they go to the fire on the altar and they burn these things on the altar as a burnt offering. And the flesh of the bull and its skin and its offal, and the, you, you shall take that and burn it with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. And you will take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands again. Now they take the animal, and they put their hands on its head. And what they're thinking about is this animal is going to die. It's going to die because I'm a sinner. It's somehow the death of this animal is connected to my sin. I should die for my sin. I live. The animal dies. It's a constant message. And it all points to Christ, of course. And so he says, you'll take one ram, in verse 15, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you will kill the ram, and you will take its blood and sprinkle it around the altar. Then so on, you take the parts of it and burn it. And then in verse 19, you shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Here they go again. Now watch this, verse 20. Then you shall kill the ram. And take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear. Isn't that interesting? Take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and the tip of the right ear of his sons. And then on the thumb of the right hand. And then, we're getting really technical now, on the big toe of the right foot. So picture these guys. They've put their hands on animals. They've watched them die again and again. They see the blood being shed, but now the blood is on them. And they've got, they're standing there. They've got blood on their right ear. They have blood on their right thumb. And they have blood on their right toe. And they're about to begin their service as a priest on behalf of the people, coming into God, going out to the people. You say, what in the world is that all about? Seems a little strange, doesn't it? But everything happens for a reason, and this is the reason. The cleansing has to do with the ear, the hearing of God's Word. Their ears must be cleansed to hear the Word from God, to be led by Him. Their hands must be cleansed to have their work that becomes an offering to God cleansed and acceptable under Him. 
Their feet must be cleansed, picturing an upright, holy walk with God. So you have the hearing of God's Word, the work, and the walk. The Word, the work, and the walk is what this blood on these parts of the body is all about. You get the picture? As we come serving in God's priesthood, the Word, the work, and the walk, the way we hear God's Word is critical. How do you hear God's Word? Do you prepare yourself when you come to church to hear it? I think so often we just kind of get up, we mindlessly gulp coffee, blow hair dryers, you know, do what we do, jump in the car, and we're in church sitting and music going before we even know it. And sometimes I'm amazed at how in tune people are in the worship. I see people, they're weeping, they're interacting with God, and I, I see other people, they're a million miles from here. Some of them are still back in bed. They're just sort of standing up is all. You know, how do you hear the Word of God? It's critical how you hear. That's what that picture is all about. How do you see your work? It's critical how you face your work for the Lord. And that it's acceptable to God. It isn't just offered out of this is the thing to do, but it's given as an acceptable thing to God. We're going to talk about that next time. And what is your walk like? I cannot look through these issues of the priest without stopping here and saying to myself, How do I hear you, Lord? How do I offer my work to you, Lord? And what is my walk like? Does it become that of someone in your priesthood? It's quite a thing to contemplate. But the great thing is that we have been cleansed for this service, that we're even allowed into this service. And the one that brought us in and the one that cleansed us is the one who's going to enable us. So we too have been mercifully cleansed, and so much we could say about that. But that leads me to another thought that has to do with the cleansing as well. Not only were they sovereignly called, they were mercifully cleansed, and then they were strategically clothed. Strategically clothed. In other words, their garments were important. If you look at Exodus 29.5, just take a quick look at their garments. You read that they are here to take their garments. They couldn't just come in and wear whatever they wanted. It was uh, the kind of thing where they had to dress exactly the way they were told by God. So take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, the ephod itself, and the breast piece. We don't have time to go into every detail of these. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and put headbands on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. In this way you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So a big deal is made about their garments. The idea of the garment here is that when you looked at a priest, you knew immediately he was a priest because of the way he dressed. So he stood out among men as a priest because of the way he dressed, because of his garment. And you were not allowed to minister before God unless you had the garment. And you couldn't have the garment unless you were from the tribe of Levi. And you couldn't be even there if it wasn't for the sovereignty of God. You see the flow? So you come to the New Testament And you find that much 
is made about this issue of a garment in the New Testament. Much is made of this. In fact, do you remember when Jesus told the parable of the wedding feast? He said a, a certain man gave a wedding feast and he sent people out and invited everyone to come, all the guests they didn't want to come. So he said, go out and invite anybody that will come. Picture of God calling Israel, they don't come. He says, call anyone that will come, the Gentiles. And then they all come in and they're all dressed in these wedding garments. But then the guy in charge of the feast looks around and he notices this guy in the back of the room. And he hasn't got a wedding garment on. And Jesus makes a big deal out of this in his parable. And he says, they notice this man with no garment. And the man in charge who has been so gracious to invite any that will come, give them a lavish feast, privilege them with what they didn't deserve. Many people that he didn't even know from the highways and byways, he's so gracious and loving and generous that same individual makes a big issue that this guy over here doesn't have a wedding garment and, and he says, take him out and bind him and get rid of him. And the point of the parable is this. You don't get into heaven without a garment. And you can only get the garment from Jesus Christ. And that is by being forgiven. It's all pictured in a garment. It's the, the robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ as it were, given to you as a gift. You get into the book of Revelation and there is much made about the garment. John is standing there watching this vision and someone says, Who are these over here? And he finds out, Well, these are those that came out of the great tribulation. They're wearing white robes. And they find out these are those that have had their garments washed in the blood of the Lamb, made white by the blood of the Lamb. So you see the whole idea of the cleansing flowing into the garment. You cannot get into God's priesthood in the body of Christ without the garment. There are too many people that think just because they come to church, they're part of the family, part of the priesthood, when in reality, they've never been given the garment because they're still unconverted, something must happen in your heart where you open your heart and you turn from your sin. You respond to the call of God that's been pulling on you from deep within. And in that act of surrender where you come and confess in humility your sin, God forgives you, He moves to live within you, He cleanses you and He gives you the garment. And if you don't have that garment on, you cannot be part of the priesthood. And you don't go to heaven. You will not go to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You will not see the priesthood that will continue forever even in heaven. Because in Revelation you read that these are they that had their clothes, their garments washed white by the blood of the Lamb. And they will serve their God forever. Because they've come in the right garments. So the priesthood begins by coming in humility to Christ, receiving His forgiveness, connecting with His life, and then you're given the garment, you become part of the priesthood. But the good news to talk of the privilege is that that priesthood is going to go on and on and on forever. It begins here. It goes on there. So the matters that we are looking at here are critical today. These issues have eternal relevance. The question is, do you have the garment? If you do, 
then you're ready to go on in the study. If you don't, you need to open your heart and deal with God even now. Deal with Him even now in this day. Get the tape after. Deal with God now about the garment, about your heart and your sin. So they were strategically clothed. I, I love to think of in Zechariah chapter 3, you don't have to turn there in the Old Testament, but Joshua the high priest is standing there and he's, he's got this dirty outfit on. Satan is there and he's accusing him for being such a great sinner to God. And God, because Joshua the high priest is his man, God comes to his rescue. Here is a man, obviously a sinner before all of heaven. A man who yet has turned his heart toward God. The devil's condemning him. You know what God says to the devil as he's trying to condemn this man for his sin that is open before all of heaven? God says to the devil, I love this, Zechariah 3.2, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. I love it. It says, though Satan is saying, look at the sin of this man. And it's as though God says to the devil, I don't want to hear it. Shut your mouth. I have taken care of his sin. The angels rush in. He is forgiven and at the same time given rich garments, the Bible says. And the devil is sent from the scene. And here is Joshua standing in rich garments in close, blessed communion with God. That's what he's done for you if you're a Christian today. That's what he wants to do for you if you're not a Christian yet. Open your heart and ask him to do it. And so they were strategically clothed. And then they were wonderfully anointed. I just want to touch on this. In Exodus 29.7, when we were reading through there, they were putting on the clothes in the middle of it all. They must have been quite a day, you know, to finish up as a priest. Here they are, they're putting all these clothes on, the turban, the thing on the, the breastplate, the thing on the turban, the sash and everything. And then they're putting hands on the animals. There's blood everywhere. Now there's blood on their clothes because it's dripped, you know, and there's, it's on their ear and it's on their thumb and it's on their toe. And then they poured oil. Look at Exodus 29.7. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Man, after a long day... You could come home looking a little different. Where have you been, dear? Well, I got a little oil and things got a little bloody. And, you know, and uh, it's life as a priest covered with oil and blood. Seen a lot of dead animals around me. But you see, life as a priest for us is not about dead animals sacrificed and burned. It's not about animal blood. And it isn't about liquid oil being poured all over your head. You see, the oil was a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God upon that life. Those special people in the Old Testament that interacted closely in a privileged way with God in a way much closer than the multitudes. But you see, in Christ, all of us that have been far off are made near. We all get the anointing because we are all God's priests and we are all anointed with the Holy Spirit. And it's just a tremendous thing to think about that I go to perform my office as a priest for God in the power and the anointing and the sovereign calling of God cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not an animal, but by the precious blood of God's only Son and anointed by His Spirit. So what have we learned so far about a priest? Imagine, if you will, a big picture behind me. 
They were sovereignly called. They were mercifully cleansed. They were strategically clothed. And they were wonderfully anointed. Now you know something about a priest you didn't know before and you're ready to deal with 1 Peter 2.5, right? But there's a little more. The fifth thing about the priests is that they were internally prepared. Internally prepared. Turn in your Bible, could you, to Leviticus chapter 8 to verse 30. This is a tremendous thing. One I don't know really if we value it as much as we ought to. Everything was in place. They had done it right, but even though everything was in place up to this point, they still needed by God. And so they spent seven days drawing near to God at the tent of meeting, which was where God rested His glory, His Shekinah glory. Verse 30 of Leviticus 8 Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood from the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments, on his sons and their garments. And so he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons. Then, in verse 31, Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Cook the meat at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he says, I want you to stay there. Look at verse 33. Do not leave the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination will last seven days. What has been done today was commanded by the Lord to make atonement for you. You must stay at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days. Do what the Lord requires so that you will not, you notice, die. Kind of heavy being a priest in those days. One false move, and that was it. So, but Lord, it's on the ear. Yes, but it's the left ear. You know, sorry. <laughs> Be kind of radical, but... Anyway, do it all exactly right so you don't die. How I thank God that under the new covenant, <laughs> we live in spite of our mistakes. Aren't you glad, for example, that God isn't dealing right now in the offering as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. As we sing, Take my silver and my gold. And the bag is coming your way. Not a might will I withhold. And on you pass it by. Boom! People going down all over the building. It'd be rough, wouldn't it? He says, Do it all exactly right, lest you die. What is going on here? Well, everything else was in place. They had been sovereignly called. They had been mercifully cleansed and strategically clothed, wonderfully anointed, but they still needed to be prepared. What premium do you place on your preparation as a Christian, as one of God's priests? I think that it's something we need to recognize. There must be that time of preparation. And though here it's a seven-day thing, it's a wonderful picture that you must be prepared. And it's internal. For a long time, I, I thought almost nothing about this. I just figured I'm a Christian. God wants to use me. It's all by grace. Abide and glide. Go out and get used, pal. But then I began to realize, no, he uses fit vessels. And you become fit by being prepared. And it's an internal work. God wants to prepare you. Let him do it. Really pay attention. Move in and take from Him all that He wants to give you. 
And then may I say this, as the years roll by and you're being called to something, after you move from the general in the early days to a little more specific, but fairly general, to a little more specific, still some generality, eventually as the years go by and the preparation goes on, you get to a specific calling. And often you must step out in faith. It is tremendously scary. It is met by horrific opposition from Satan if you're called to make a difference, and you are. And at that point in time, you must fall back on the internal preparation. And you must place the highest premium of all on it and say, God, you have prepared me. I know you have. I will step out in faith. We will be victorious because the work has been done in here. I want to encourage you to place a high premium on the internal preparation of your own unique priesthood as a child of God in the body of Christ. They were internally prepared. We must give ourselves to this preparation and let God do that blessed work. And then we watch Him do above and beyond through us what we ever asked or prayed or even thought. And when it is all said and done, we can say to God be the glory, great things He has done. Then there is a sixth thing, and that is they were carefully obedient. The priests were to be carefully obedient. Turn in your Bible to Leviticus 10. I guess all you have to do is hang a right or something. Or go to the bottom of the page or whatever. And here is, they're moving through this process, you see. So they've done it all right. Everything's in place. They've been prepared there. Now they go on with the ordination. It's ordination day for Nadab and Abihu. But they come in, and we are told in verse 1 that each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it. So there's fire and incense in the censer. But they offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Okay, up until now they did everything just right. They even did the thing right required in their preparation seven days and nights at the tent of meeting. But now they are departing from doing everything right. Beware of, in your ministry before the Lord, of getting to the place where you start to do it your way. Where you get the temptation to do it your way. So much ministry goes on today in the body of Christ done their way, man's way, his way, her way, and it isn't God's way. Here is a message of how God feels about that. They offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Basically, they did it their way. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron in verse 3, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, Notice, I must be regarded as holy. You remember Jesus said, I will build my church. Remember we studied that? He's the cornerstone. He builds on that foundation. I will build my church, he said to Peter. We must regard him as holy. We must serve according to what he wants done. That's why the hearing of the ear is so important. How many today in Christianity in the outward church are coming exactly the way God wants them to because they regard the Lord as holy. It is your work, it is your ministry, it is your way, Lord. 
Far too many just come and do it their way, and they think it's cool, they think it's neat, you know, fancy, razzle-dazzle, the whole thing. When in reality, God wants it done His way, not our way. And so they died. And Moses said they died because God wants those that draw near to Him to regard Him as holy. They were flippant. They were casual. And he wants them before all the people glorified. So Aaron was quiet. Poor Aaron. Can you imagine? I mean, he watches his sons die on their ordination day. You know, here he is. His sons are called to the priesthood. The only thing worse than flat out saying, I'm not going to do it, is to go ahead and do it and mess it up. You know? And so here he is. In verse 4, Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan and the sons of Uziel and the uncle of Aaron and said to them, Come near and carry your brethren before the sanctuary out of the camp. Get these guys out of here. So they carried them out by their tunics. Interesting. <laughs> In other words, I don't want to touch this guy too close. It might, you know, <laughs> I might be connected and more fire might come. So they're dragging the guys by their clothes out of the camp. Aaron, you know, is probably getting ready to throw a fit. My sons, God kills them. Terrific. Love the priesthood. It's a wonderful place to be. I'm glad I'm sovereignly called. You know what I mean? He's emotional. And Moses is realizing there could be a lot of dead people by the end of the day. We better take care of this. So Moses says to Aaron, verse 6, and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads. Don't start tearing your clothes. Don't go into the whole routine or you're going to die too. And wrath is going to come on the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. We should all be broken and sorrowful in heart because men have come flippantly in before a holy God that were to be examples of the fear of the Lord, which we have discussed in Peter already. And the message was this, never take the priesthood flippantly. Never be self-styled and careless. Why does it say, say strange fire? Well, because they were always to take the fire from the brazen altar, always. Maybe they took fire from somewhere else, from some pagan god or their own barbecue or whatever. Maybe they thought they were going to be cool in church. Hey, cool dudes, we'll take barbecue briquettes and it'll be like so rad. We'll do some burgers and, you know, more people will come. Hey, you know, the mentality of make it as worldly as you can and get a bigger crowd. So maybe it was that, the wrong fire. God had said, you, you use only one kind of incense. That's it. And it's according to my blend. That's it. Maybe they brought other incense. Maybe it was Hare Krishna type incense, you know. And they brought it in. God says, no way. Or maybe it was that they were drunk. Because in Leviticus 10.8, the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink strong wine or intoxicating drink, you and your sons, and go into the tabernacle or you will die. Maybe they were drunk. Maybe they brought the wrong fire, the wrong incense. The point is this. Maybe it was all of that. The point is, you don't come your way. You come His way. May God help us to be a people, a family, that so reveres God and His holiness that we are committed at Pacific Hills Church and as Christians, followers of Christ, we do it His way because we revere Him as holy and we want His name magnified. The priesthood was to be carefully obedient. Finally, they were to be unwaveringly biblical. Could you turn with me to Malachi where we're going to finish up? Malachi chapter 2. 
If you don't know where Malachi is, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So turn to Matthew. Go right to Matthew. Hang an immediate U-turn left. And you'll bump into the Italian prophet Malachi. (laughs) And here in the writings of the Italian prophet Malachi, God really sort of realized this is the book that closes the Old Testament. And effectively, with this book comes the end of the Levitical priesthood. In comes Christ. Very next page in your Bible, you know, after Malachi, in comes Christ, in comes a new priesthood. So the words here are critical. And they stand on the pages of the Bible to give us instruction in the new priesthood that we now have in Christ. So in chapter 2, God says, And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. Watch this. This is pretty radical stuff. You're going to see why we don't want kids in the service right now. We want them in children's church learning on their level. Get ready. Hang on. Strap in. Belt down. If you will not hear and take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. I've cursed them already because you don't take me seriously. You're doing this all your own way. You think it doesn't matter. He says, Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. Get this. He's talking to priests. He says, I will spread, the old King James says, dung. New King James tones it down to refuse. NIV puts it obscure so you don't even know what it is. Awful. Awful. Which is awful is what it is. It's human excrement. It's God talking. God's radical, isn't he? This is not for children's eyes. So, seriously though, he's saying, you have abandoned my word. You know what I'm going to do? When you have your feasts and your parties and you do it all in my name, I'll rub your own dung on your faces. What could be more of a curse to priests who were to represent God than to have God say, I'm going to rub your own dung on your face? Aren't you glad you came to church today? But you see, this is God saying, this is how I feel about those who turn away from the Bible and go on saying this is Christianity. He says, because, in verse 4, Then you shall know I have, that, that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me, and he feared me, and was reverent before my name, Here it is, and the law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. And he walked with me in peace and equity, and turned away from iniquity. He's talking about the early Levitical priesthood. And he's saying, you guys are nothing like your predecessors. You've completely abandoned the legacy of godliness, which is so true of so much of Christianity today. And why? Why all of this? Well, it's all in verse 7. Because here's the way a priest should be. The lips of a priest should keep knowledge. What kind? And the people should seek the law from his mouth. It's the knowledge of the word. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you've departed from the way you've caused many to stumble at the law. You've corrupted 
the covenant of Levi, you've corrupted what the whole thing of being a priest is all about. And what is it all about? It's all about being a messenger of the Lord, an unwavering commitment to being biblical. So do you understand then what a priest is? What is a priest all about? Being sovereignly called by God to service, mercifully cleansed by God for that service, strategically clothed by God in Christ for that service, wonderfully anointed for us by the Holy Spirit, internally prepared, carefully obedient, and we must be unwaveringly biblical. And God will be with us. And we will see His power strong on our behalf. And you will see His name glorified through your life. And then when you die, you will die in glory. And you go on in a new phase of your priesthood forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our great privileges as Christians. I'm not so sure, Lord, we fully grasp what a privilege it is to be called those who are part of your priesthood. Lord, help us not to take this time today and leave it at the door, but to take these things with us, to return to them again and again, because these are things that apply to us throughout our whole life. And help us, Lord, to rise to the occasion of being priests in your family, in your church. And we will be careful to give you all the glory as we see you move in us and through us to reveal your blessedness to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.